Well, welcome uh, once again to Peace Presbyterian Church. I am, I'm Pastor Andrew, I'm the pastor here. Um, if, yeah, it's wonderful to see each and every one of your faces uh, this morning. Just a programming note, if, if that's okay. Next week is Memorial Day, as, as many of you know. And I don't know how many people are planning on going on vacation for Memorial Day, going out of town. Uh, if you are, that's great and wonderful, and I, I wish you, you know, I, I hope that you have a good time. I just, I want to take a, a moment of pastoral encouragement to encourage you to, even if you don't go here next week, go, go find a church in the place that you are and, and go worship with them. Um, if you're going up north, there's a couple churches in our denomination that I would recommend. There's one in Oscoda, there's one in Lake City. Uh, if you're near there, maybe visit. If, if you're not and, you know, you're somewhere else, Go find a church that preaches the Bible, that tells you that you're a sinner, that tells you that Jesus is alive. Bless them with your presence uh, if you're out of town, um, even if you can't be with us next week. Uh, we are wrapping up, um, finally, the, the sermon series that we've been going through for a while. Uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, we've been looking at how we, we are united to Christ and what that means. There, there is a TV trope, um, sort of a like a a thing that people will go back to, different filmmakers or makers of TV and episodes and movies. And, uh, in order to show, um, like in a, in a movie, that someone is remembering something, they'll sometimes have a character stop and turn back to, to a place where something beloved has happened, and they'll just take a moment to look. And you, as the viewer, are supposed to be like, oh, this person is remembering all of the good things that have happened here. Right? If, there, if there's a movie where, you know, maybe someone's graduating from college and they're, you know, packing up their stuff in a dorm room and, and they're leaving and they go out right before they turn off the light, they turn back and they look. They think of all the great memories that have happened in, in that dorm room. And whether or not that actually mirrors real life, I think it's a good idea for us, as we are leaving the book of Ephesians, to look back and to remember some of the things that we've learned some of the things that, that, that have been taught to us from the book of Ephesians. Our scripture reading this morning was the, was the last few verses. We did that primarily just for completion's sake, so we, we've heard the entire book of Ephesians read to us throughout the spring. Uh, we're not necessarily going to be preaching directly from there. Instead, I'm going to zoom out and kind of preach from the entire book of Ephesians. It's going to be a little more simple this morning. I want to look at just what Ephesians tells us, just look at an overall structure once again of how the book is divided and, and kind of the argument that it makes. And I want to take a little bit of time to look at application. I know that, you know, like I, I, I haven't been preaching my entire life. I've only been preaching for, you know, every week for, for a few months. So I, I've spent time in the pews. I've spent time where you are. And I, I know that... You don't leave with something good every week, and that's okay. There's some days where you're just more distracted than others. There's some days that, you know, you just don't connect with what's being preached, and I get that, and I've lived that experience. But over the course of the book of Ephesians, I'm going to ask us to pick one thing from the past several months. I want each of us to take a moment, and we'll, we'll talk through maybe some possible takeaways, but by the end of this sermon, I want us to pick one thing that as we stop and as we look back at the book of Ephesians, fondly remember where we've been, we can take at the very least one challenge away from the book of Ephesians 
that as we leave, we can take with us and we can hold on to. But first, I want to look through a summary of the book of Ephesians. So if you remember correctly, uh, the book of Ephesians is divided into two halves. The first half is chapters 1 through 3. The second half is chapters 4 through 6. The first, chapter, the first half talks about who we are in Christ. It talks about our identity as the people of God. What does it mean to be a Christian? The second half talks about how we should live because of that reality. So the first half is who we are in Christ, then how should we live because we are in Christ. Some people call it the indicative and the imperative, right? There, there's the reality, and then there's the commands that flow from that reality. And a lot of Paul's letters are divided like this. He gives us some theology in the first half, tells us about what Christ has done for us, what that means for us practically, and then he'll talk about how we need to live because of that. And Ephesians is no different. The first chapter of the book of Ephesians talks through God's general plan of redemption, right? We know that the world we live in is broken. We know that we are, we are sinful people who need to be saved. And chapter 1 of Ephesians talks about how God has a plan from before the foundations of the world, at the very beginning of things, to fix everything in Christ, God's not caught off guard by our sin. Instead, God has a plan to fix not only our sin, but to fix all of the evil and the brokenness and the wickedness that's present in our world. And Ephesians chapter 1 looks back to God's plan from before time itself, and it looks forward to the day in which everything is fixed under Christ. The illustration that's used is underneath the headship of Christ. Christ is the, he's the head of all. In all principalities and powers, forces of darkness, even just, you know, people like us, everything will recognize that Christ is above all, and in doing so, the world will be fixed. But for now, in this, in this time that we're waiting for the world to be fixed, there is a people that God is working with in order to fix the world, to participate in that fixing of the world. That people is the church. In Ephesians 2, we learned of individual salvation, right? We learned that there, there's a path of wickedness, there's a path of darkness, and there's a path of light. There's a path of life. We are all born on this path. We are all born into our sins. And unless God picks us up off of this path and moves us to the right path, unless God intervenes in our life in some way, then we're going to be stuck on this path, stuck in our sins, doing the things that we want, according to the, the things that culture tells us are good and appropriate. But God, as Ephesians 2 says, but God, who was rich in mercy because of his great love for us, made us alive. We can have forgiveness in Christ because of what he has done. And God can take us out of our sin and put us on the path of righteousness. That's on an individual level. Each one of us in our own hearts can have that relationship with God. But that's not the only aspect of this redemption, of this salvation that's being described in the book of Ephesians. The second half of Ephesians 2 talks about a corporate salvation, right? A group salvation, all of us together being saved. 
right? We are no longer, as we looked at, we are no longer, you know, as most of us are Gentiles, we're no longer on the outside of the people of God looking in. God has brought the Gentiles and the Jewish people together into one body. He's brought us into the church so that all of us together are the people of God. We are the people in whom God is working. We are, as we've talked about, an embassy, a little pocket of the new creation that is to come. We are not people of the world around us, but we are a people who gather together, who have more in common in the next life than in this life. We're participating in God's redemption. He's brought us together as a people, as a body, meant to build each other up into love and Christian maturity. So we move into how we live in Christ. Chapter 4 talks... it. Chapter 4 sees us as a, as a body, right? As a person. I have a, I have a newborn son. I guess he's not really newborn anymore. He's like five months old. Time is flying. Anyway, I have a, a five-month-old son, and I've, I've gotten to see him grow up from being just a newborn baby to being, you know, a baby who can look at you and smile at you. And Lord willing, I'm going to watch him grow up and to be a young man who, who has his own family and who, who loves God on his own, right? Just as My son is going to grow up into maturity, so we as a group of people are supposed to grow up into maturity. We're supposed to build each other up. We're supposed to love each other well. We're supposed to use the gifts that God has given us to help this body grow more and more mature in Christ. We're supposed to put off old practices supposed to put off the sins that previously characterized us, right? When we walk down the road of darkness, the road of sin, and apologies to this side of the room, you guys are always the road of sin. Uh, this, maybe that's why more people sit on this side, but you guys are just always the road of sin. You guys are just always the road of righteousness. Maybe I'll switch that up one of these days. But we're not supposed to walk on this road anymore. We're supposed to put off the, the practices that characterize the old life, and we're supposed to put on practices that characterize the new creation and the redemption that God has coming to us. And finally, last week, we looked at at Ephesians 6. We're supposed to, as as people who are in the world, but not necessarily of the world, right, as a pocket of the new creation, we're supposed to defend ourselves against the attacks of the world as Satan tries to divide us, as Satan tries to get us to lie about each other and be unkind to each other and not love each other as we should. Satan's trying to break us apart. We're supposed to defend ourselves not in and of ourselves, but because of what Christ has done, we're supposed to defend ourselves against his attacks so that we as a church continue to grow up in maturity, continue to find ways to love each other more and more, continue to make disciples, to bring people in, continue just a little bit more and more every day to be people who are defined by the new creation characterized by what is to come, the redemption that will be in Christ Jesus, instead of the lies of the culture around us. That's the message of the book of Ephesians. I understand that that's a lot, just condensed really into a short amount of time. If at any point you want to go back and you want to maybe relive, um, not relive, that's the wrong, if you want to hear some of these messages again, everything that I've preached is on our website. You can go to peacepressflint.com and you can listen to those. But that's the book of Ephesians in a nutshell. So as we turn, and as we're, you know, looking back into the room that we're leaving, about to turn off the lights, about to leave, and go into, in a couple weeks, the book of Deuteronomy, I want us each to pick one thing 
from the book of Ephesians. You don't have to have something from every week. You don't have to have everything I've ever said. Just pick one thing that you're going to take with you, that you're going to hold on to. One thing, one challenge to your life, one way in which you need to become more and more like Christ. Grab that with you and don't let it go. First possible thing. And this is, this is at a basic level. But do you need to repent and trust Christ for your salvation? The book of Ephesians is written to Christians. The, one of the first verses, I think it's the first verse, it says, to the faithful saints in the city of Ephesus. So Paul is already addressing people who have been redeemed. So there's an assumption there that the people who are reading this, the people who are trying to apply this, are already characterized by Jesus Christ and not the things of this world. But I know that even in a church where people have been going to this place for years and years and years, that doesn't mean that you are in Christ. Maybe your move today, your takeaway, needs to be to come to a place where you're broken over your sin, where you need to repent of your sin, confess it to Christ, say, this is wrong, this is bad, I should not be living this way, and I know that I can't fix it myself, and you need to trust Christ and look to him and say, I know I can't make it into eternity with God by anything that I've done. It's only by what Christ has done that I can have any hope of making it into eternity with God. Maybe that needs to be your takeaway. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm not asking if you prayed a prayer once when you were a little kid. I'm not asking any of those things. I'm asking if you are a person who repents of your sin and who trusts in an ongoing way Christ and what he has done for your salvation. If you are not, if that doesn't characterize you, repent today, trust today, because the rest of what I'm about to say is going to have no application for you until we come to that point. Maybe you need to trust Christ. Maybe, as we learned in Ephesians chapter 4, there is a way in which you need to start building up Christ's body. Right? We learned when we looked through Ephesians chapter 4 that God gives us gifts. God gives us ways to serve the people around us. God gives us gifts of generosity. He gives us gifts of hospitality. He gives us gifts of weeding the garden and mowing the lawn. Things that need to be done for, for the building up of the church. Things that God has equipped you to do. Is there a way in which you need to build up the church that you haven't been doing before? See, we, we as American Christians, right, we're, we're Western American Christians, we tend to be really isolated, right? We're, we're the culture that we like to walk into church, we like to not talk to anybody, we like to, you know, hear our sermon, then we go home. When we, when we get home from wherever we're going, you pull right into your garage and you shut your garage behind you, you tend to not be as connected to other people as people in other cultures. Is there a way in which you need to break down the boundaries between you and the congregation around you to build up this body of believers? Is there a way? Is there a sin that God is calling you to put to death? 
There's a quote that, that gets stuck in my head, and I, I don't know who exactly says, I think it might be John Owen, but don't quote me on that. Uh, I should look this up. Anyway, the quote is, be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Sin is not something that, you know, when we get saved, we dealt with, and it's just in the past, and then we just move on, and now, hey, now we're Christians, and we kind of keep going and going and going. There's a constant struggle, a constant dying to ourself, a constant putting our sin to death. It's not a one-time choice. I have to wake up every single morning and say, I can't live this way. I have to live the way in which Christ has called me to. But we are a people who are supposed to, as Paul writes in Ephesians, put off the old way of life. Right? Like a, somebody who works a dirty job gets home, and they take off their muddy, dirty, greasy clothes, and they put on comfy, clean, dry clothes. In the same way, we are called to put off our sin and put on new practices. Is there a sin that you've been holding on to that you need to put to death? Do you love as Christ has loved? Is there someone who you need to love with the generous love of Christ that you haven't been? One thing we talked about in the book of Ephesians is, is how Paul prays for his people to know the love that surpasses knowledge, to lo know the love that Christ has for us. And we talked through loves that can be known. Right? There's loves that are ordinary, right? If you're going to uh, maybe pay the grocery bill of the person in front of you because they forgot their wallet. That's a kind thing to do. There's usually a limit on it, right? You're not going to pay someone's $200 grocery bill. Maybe 20 bucks, not 200 then there's, then there's extraordinary loves that we sometimes hear about and think about, like a soldier diving on a grenade for people that he loves. But a love that surpasses knowledge is a man who will die for his enemies, not because they owe him anything, not because they have anything to bring him, not because they've even treated him well, but because he just simply loves them. That is the love with which Christ has loved us. While we were Christ's enemies, he died for us. Is there someone that God is calling you to love in the same way? We tend to, to rationalize those things, to, to kind of brush it aside, right? We tend to say, oh, well, they don't, they don't really deserve it. They did this thing. They did that thing. It's difficult to love them. Yeah, it's difficult. That's, that's part of the point. That's why it's love. That's why it's something that will, that will cross those boundaries. Is there someone who you've been resisting loving that God is calling you to love in the way Christ loved you? Is there someone that Christ, or there's someone that you need to tell the gospel of Jesus Christ to? Paul in Ephesians 3 calls himself a minister of this gospel, a minister of reconciliation. Right? God has brought the Gentiles in to the people of God, and it was Paul's job to go tell them about what God has done for us. Is there someone that you need to tell the gospel? Jesus Christ, you tell them that their sins can be forgiven if they repent and they believe. Tell them that there's new life to be found in Christ. Is there someone? If there's not, is there a way in which you need to go find someone? Do you need to invite that neighbor over for coffee or at least talk to them when you're both putting your garbage cans out for the morning? Is there a relationship that you need to start now so that you can share the gospel with them in a year or two. 
Is there someone to whom God is calling you to share the gospel? I'm not encouraging us this morning to pick one of each of these takeaways. I'm not. Pick one. Pick one. You need to trust Christ. Is there a way in which you need to build up Christ's body that you haven't been and you need to start? Is there a sin that you've been holding on to that you need to put to death? Is there someone whom you need to love in a radical way that you don't want to, that you need to? Is there someone, a neighbor, a relative, a friend, who you need to tell about what Christ has done for them? As we go forward from here, pick one of these. As we're leaving Ephesians, we're about to turn out the light. As we stop to take a look back, pick something up. Think about it. Pray over it. By God's grace, by God's grace, allow it to change your life. Let us not hear the word of God and move on without being changed. May he do a great work in us as his people. Will you pray with me?